I am beginning to be sorry that I ever undertook to write this book. Not that it bores me. I have nothing else to do. Indeed, it is a welcome distraction from eternity. But the book is tedious. It smells of tomb. It has a rigor mortis about it, a serious fault, and yet a relatively small one, for the great defect of this book is you, reader. You want to live fast, to get to the end, and the book ambles along slowly. You like straight, solid narrative and a smooth style, but this book and my style are like a pair of drunks, They stagger to the right and to the left. They start and they stop. They mutter, they roar. They guffaw, they threaten the sky. They slip and fall. And fall. Unhappy leaves of my cypress tree, you had to fall. Like everything else that is lovely and beautiful. If I had eyes, I would shed a tear of remembrance for you. And this is the great advantage in being dead, that if you have no mouth with which to laugh, neither have you eyes with which to cry. Welcome, dear listeners of Tres Cuentos, the bilingual podcast dedicated to Latin America's literary, historical, and traditional narratives. I am Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz, and today we begin a nine-week journey through fantastic Latin America. The opening of the episode was written by today's featured author, Joaquin Maria Machado de Aziz, in his book, The Posthumous Memoirs of Bra Cubas. To those who have been with us, the name Joaquin Maria Machado de Aziz perhaps sounds familiar. We featured one of his stories, The Bonds' Secret, early this year on episode 35. Then why bring him back? Well, since we are about to dive into the beginnings of Latin America's fantasy, I thought Mr. Machado de Aziz could do the honors. Curiously, When I began my research on the genre of Latin American fantasy, I had in mind narratives like Narnia, The Lord of the Rings. Oh, but how wrong was I? There is a big problem with assumptions. I thought that the canon of fantasy was what some British and a South African author had written. But as we say in Colombia, Latinoamérica es otro cuento, is another story. The nine stories that are part of this season vary from quirky, witty, eerie, and spooky. But I dare to say that there is a common thread, humor, and the idea that anything can happen in Latin America. Today's story, Canary Thoughts, can be found in the book Collected Stories of Machado de Aziz, translated by Margaret Jewel Costa and Robin Patterson, published by W.W. W. Norton and Company, Inc. This funny story that helps us reflect on the futility of human assumptions regarding what reality is comes in the voice of the Brazilian-American storyteller Antonio Rocha, 
I will tell you more about him and his brilliant career in the States after this story. A man finds a canary in a junk shop, and upon realizing that the little bird talks, he takes it to his home, thinking that this discovery will change the course of humanity. Yet, the man doesn't know that his new pet is quite a philosopher. Canary Thoughts Written by Machado Diaziz Read and adapted by Antonio Hosha. Once, long ago in a land far away called Brazil, before even cars existed in the world, there lived Macedo. Macedo was an astute scientist who studied the feathery type. He was a dedicated and keen ornithologist. And this is the story of a very bizarre something that happened to him. He was once walking down a busy street when all of a sudden a horse-drawn cart came careening towards him and almost knocked him over. He escaped by jumping out of the way and into the doorway of a vintage shop. You know, one of those antique shops that we come across many times during the summertime. You may find a treasure here and there, but... They are mostly filled with junk. Macedo right away forgot about the incident and became intrigued by the character of the shop that was before him. He right away noticed the owner, who was way in the back dozing in a folding chair. A man who seemed to be unaware of the noises coming from the street, unaware of the potential new customers standing by the door. He was a ruin of a man with a grubby, straw-colored beard and on his head a tattered cap that had failed to perhaps find a buyer. He appeared to be a man without a past, unlike some of the objects that he was selling. The shop was dark and crammed with the bent, broken, rusty objects one usually finds in such places and all in the state of disorder one would expect. Crowding the area around the shop's entrance were pots without lids, lids without pots, buttons, shoes, locks, a black skirt, straw hats and fur hats, picture frames, a pair of binoculars, a stuffed dog, slippers, gloves, various vases of all sizes, a velvet bag, two coat racks, a catapult, a thermometer, some chairs, a backgammon set, two wire masks for some future Mardi Gras, as well as other things, all leaning, hanging, or on display in equally ancient glass cases. Macedo was just about to leave when all of a sudden he spotted a cage hanging in the doorway. Like everything else, he was very old and it was not empty. A canary was hopping about inside. The little creature's color, animation, and grace lent a touch of life and youth to the surrounding junk. As soon as he was noticed by Macedo's 
curiosity, he began to jump from perch to perch within the confines of the cage, as if to say that in the midst of that graveyard-like shop, there was at least one ray of sunlight. A tremendous sensation of pleasure entered Macedo's heart, followed immediately by an indignant sense of anger at the fate of this poor creature. Macedo thought to himself, what owner could have had the heart to sell him for a few coins or had given him away for free to a small boy who, in turn, sold him on so that he could buy something more interesting? The canary paused, faced Macedo, and trilled. Whoever you are, you are clearly not in your right mind. I had no owner, nor was I given to a child who then sold me on. Those are the imagining of a sick mind. Go cure yourself, my friend. What? So your owner did not sell it to this shop where you bring life to it like a ray of sunlight? Macedo was so intrigued by the bird's ability to communicate that he was not even aware that he was communicating with the bird. What? I don't know what sunlight means. Excuse me, are you saying you came here out of your own accord without anyone's help? Isn't the man in the back your owner? My owner? That man is my servant. He gives me food and water every day and with such regularity that if I had to pay him for his services, you'd cost me a pretty penny. But canaries don't pay their servants. Indeed, since the world belongs to canaries, it would be ridiculous for us to pay for something that already exists in the world. Macedo was astonished by these responses, and he didn't know which to find more amazing, his language or his ideas. The canary words emerged as charming trills, but entered his ears like human language. He looked around to make sure that he was indeed awake. Yes, it was the same street, the same sad, damp, gloomy shop. Still hopping back and forth, the canary was waiting for him to speak. So Macedo asked him then if he didn't miss the infinite blue sky. My dear fellow, what does infinite blue sky mean? Uh, tell me then, what you think of this world? What is the world? The world? Well, the world is a junk shop with a small square wicker cage hanging from a nail. The canary is the master of the cage he inhabits and of the surrounding shop. Everything else are illusions and lies. At this point, the old man, you know, the shop owner, woke up and shuffled over towards Macedo. He asked if he wanted to buy the canary. Uh, 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 yes, I, I am very interested. But first, how did you come upon this bird? Oh, uh, let me see. Oh, uh, uh, yes, uh, I bought it from a barber along with a set of razors. The razors are in very good condition. Would you like to see them? No, I only want the canary. 
Macedo paid the asking price, took the canary home, and bought a much larger cage made out of wood and wire. And he ordered it painted white and placed it on a veranda from where the bird could see the garden, the fountain, and a scrape of blue sky. Macedo now intended to make a long study of this phenomenon, but would say nothing to anyone else until he had reached the point where he could dazzle the whole century with his extraordinary discovery. And so he dove into his research. He began by alphabetizing the canary's language to study its structure, its links with music, the creature's aesthetic feelings, his ideas and memories. Having completed this initial philology and psychological analysis, he immersed himself in the history of canaries, their origins, their early history, the geology and flora of the Canary Islands, whether he had any knowledge of navigation, and so forth and so on. They talked for long hours with Macedo taking notes and the canary waiting, hopping, and trilling about the insides of his new found home, the White Cage. Since Macedo had no other family than two servants, he ordered them not to interrupt, not even with a letter or an urgent telegram or an important visitor. They both knew about his scientific studies and so found these instructions perfectly normal and did not suspect for a moment that the canary and Macedo could understand each other. Macedo worked harder than ever before. He slept very little, waking two or three times in the night to pace about. Then he would return to his work, rereading, expanding, and amending his thoughts. He had to correct more than one of the canary's observations. For three weeks after he came to live in Macedo's house, Macedo asked him to repeat his definition of the world. The world is a fair-sized garden with a fountain in the middle, a few flowers and shrubs, a little grass, clear air, and a scrap of blue up above. The canary, who is the master of this world, lives in a vast white circular cage from which he views all these things. Everything else are illusions and lies. Macedo's obsession with this new work reached new heights. However, he could not yet write the article he intended to send to the National Museum, to the Historical Institute, and to various universities, not because he lacked material, but because he still needed to compile and confirm all these observations. Macedo was obsessed. He was not sleeping well, not eating well. And it all came together. And all of a sudden, on a Saturday morning, Macedo woke up feeling ill. 
with his head and back aching. The doctor ordered complete rest. So he remained bedridden for five days. Each morning, one of the servants was tasked with cleaning the cage and giving the canary his food and water. The canary said nothing to him, as if he knew that the servant lacked scientific training. On the sixth day, Macedo could no longer stay away from his fellow, the bird, so he left the confines of his bedroom, only to discover that the canary had escaped the day before while the servant was cleaning its cage. His first impulse was to strangle the servant. Overcome with rage, he slumped into a chair, his head spinning, unable to speak. The servant defended himself, swearing that he had taken every possible care, but that the bird had cunningly escaped. Did you look for him? Yes, we did, sir. At first, it flew up onto the roof, and, and so we went after him. Then he flew over a tree and, and, and disappeared. I've been asking everywhere, the neighbors, the local farmers, but no one has seen him. Macedo looked for his fellow canary everywhere, advertised, but all in vain. Macedo was out of his mind and surrendered to his bedroom for a few more days. One of his closest friends came to visit him and insisted that they went out for a walk. Come on, Macedo, a bit of fresh air will do you wonders. Come over to my house. You love my gardens. It will be a good distraction. Macedo agreed. They went for a stroll in the garden before supper. It was indeed a lovely idea. Macedo loved his friend's old colonial state with its mansion and beautiful and lush gardens. All of a sudden, Macedo heard a voice trill out this question. Hello, Senor Macedo. Where did you disappear to? It was the canary. It was perched on a branch up above. You can imagine Macedo's feelings and what he said to him. <laughs> Macedo's friend thought he had gone mad. But Macedo could care less about what his friend was thinking about. Macedo addressed the canary tenderly, begging him to come back and resume their conversation in the world composed of a garden, fountain, veranda, and a white circular cage. What garden? What fountain? The world, my dear friend. What world? I see you have lost none of your bad professional habits. The world is an infinite blue space with the sun up above. No, uh, the world is it's more than that. It's everything, including the junk shop. A junk shop? Do such things exist? And with that, the canary flew up to his new world of infinite blue sky and the sun up 
above. Very well, let's go back to the physical place that constitutes your reality. Now it brings to mind that old saying that goes, the grass is always greener on the other side of the street. Sometimes when everything in life is working perfectly, when we feel luckier or more intelligent than others, it may seem that the other could improve their lives if only they would follow our teachings or our way of doing things. But when we are going through a rough patch, it appears that those others are having a better time and they likely have the key to happiness and abundance. In the story, the main character makes all kinds of assumptions. He even invents an origin tragic story to explain why the little bird ended up in that shop. And his tendency to generalize based on what he perceives about the shop owner, he says, He was a ruin of a man with a grubby, straw-colored beard, and on his head a tattered cap that had failed to perhaps find a buyer. He appeared to be a man without a past, unlike some of the objects that he was selling. This reminds me of the times when children seem to have a hard time understanding that I, or any other adult, was a child once. It is as if children assume that we, grown-ups, come already developed, that pretty much we are ordered online, and delivered old, grumpy, and boring. On the other hand, if we reflect further, we could ask ourselves how many times have we met someone and have constructed a whole backstory for them based on generalities. And from there, we either like or dislike what we see, only to realize later how wrong we were, that in our minds we labeled the other person a villain, a victim, or a hero. But of course, they are just as human, as afraid, lost, confused, happy, and hopeful as we are. Before we dive more into the life of today's feature author, Joaquin Maria Machado de Aziz, allow me to introduce today's voice. Antonio Hosha is an award-winning, internationally acclaimed storyteller, a native of Brazil. He began his career in the performing arts in 1985. In 1988, he received a Partners of the Americas grant to come to the U.S. to perform and deepen his mime skills with mime master Tony Montanaro. Since then, he has earned a summa cum laude, theater BA from USM, University of Southern Maine, and studied with Master Marcel Marceau. Mr. Hosha's unique fusion of mime and spoken word has been performed from Singapore to South Africa and many places in between, including 16 countries on six continents. With his tenor voice, realistic sound effects, unique characters and mesmerizing moves, 
Antonio can reach a vast age group entertaining kids and adults. He is sure to tickle your funny bone and delight your soul no matter your age. Antonio's programs include folktales, original personal stories, myths, comedy, movement pieces, and stories based on his immigration to the U.S. from Brazil. Antonio has three very entertaining and educational award-winning DVDs, a picture book, and a few awards, including the coveted Circle of Excellence Award by the National Storytelling Network. If you want to hear Antonio Rocha in action, stop by his website, storyinmotion.com. There are some very entertaining videos there. One interesting thing that came out of Antonio's collaboration with our podcast is that Antonio had already incorporated today's story in his repertoire. Oh, the power of stories. Moving on, Joaquin Maria Machado de Aziz was born on June 21, 1839 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and died in the same city on September 29, in 1908. Machado de Aziz's literary career includes poetry, novels, short stories, plays, chronicles, translations, including Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, parliamentary reports, music scores, economic outlooks, articles, and much more. In other words, we're just scratching the surface of his literary genius. Like Dickens, Machado de Aziz had to work from an early age and through determination and self-education, developed his literary skills and amassed vast knowledge. Joaquim suffered from epileptic seizures, This condition was often not properly treated during the 19th century. This caused some damage to his social well-being. At the age of 17, Machado de Aziz became a printer's apprentice. He also taught himself several languages, like some of our dear listeners may be doing at the moment. One of the highlights of his life was meeting his beloved wife, Carolina Augusta Javier Genovaes, When she died in 1904, she left behind a devastated husband that followed her only four years later. To understand the importance of Machado's contribution to Latin America's literature, I will quote the famous U.S. writer Susan Sontag, who considered him the greatest author ever produced in Latin America, surpassing even Borges. Oh, I hope... This doesn't ruffle the feathers of Borges fans. Machado de Aziz's novels were authored during the 19th century, when Brazil was going under a period of upheaval. The nation was remaking itself after the abolition of slavery and the institution of democracy in 1889. For more information about Brazil's history during this period, I recommend reviewing episodes 35 and 27. Machado's literature questions what it means to be Brazilian, self-scrutinizing and critiquing society as other 19th century novelists did in their respective countries. However, what sets him apart from his contemporaries is Machado's humor and the use of untrustworthy first-person narrator. 
To that, I must add one more thing. Unlike other writers of his time, who focused on depicting the reality of the working class, Machado created a few fictional members of the Brazilian upper class, in this way dissecting the farce of those in power. To conclude today's program, I want to close with another of Machado's quotes about how things lead to the creation of other things. The best thing to do is to loosen my grip on my pen and let it go wandering about until it finds an entrance. There must be one. Everything depends on the circumstances, a rule applicable as much to literary style as to life. Each word tugs another one along, one idea another, and that is how books, governments, and revolutions are made. Some even say that that is how nature created species. And that is all for today. We will be back next Thursday with another episode in English about another author who has left a positive and intriguing mark in literature, Ruben Dario. This Nicaraguan writer tells us a story of what it might mean to stay young forever. Until the next cuento, adios, adios. Tres Cuentos is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcasts Creator Program. Tres Cuentos is an exercise of creative writing, researching, and retelling. I want to thank Antonio Hosha and Don Heimel for participating in today's program. Remember to follow Tres Cuentos on Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found Tres Cuentos listed. Also visit our website, trescuentos.com. And let's start a conversation. The music and sound effects were downloaded from the YouTube audio library and freesound.org. The list of credits per song and the sources of this story can be found in the transcript that is on our website. Thanks for listening. Adios, adios. Adios.